In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written for me. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, 11 a.m. How are you today? Good? Good. Well, glad you're here today. We had a great 9 a.m. service, and we are glad that you're here. Listen, just want to welcome you again. And I was saying this in the first service, but... Man, I was just reviewing my week and like all the way from last Saturday, we had our Dudes Day launch and a bunch of guys here smoking meats and playing cornhole to the glory of Jesus Christ, right? So we did that, rolled into Sunday, new series. Then Monday was the official launch of Westside Men. And then Wednesday night, our connection class is actually going on. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have close to like 30 plus people who are joining the church for the very first time. It's incredible. While all that's going on in the back, Westside Youth is running around eating pizza for the glory of God and all this stuff. And, and now we roll into today, and then there were women up here serving during the week, and then women meeting in hot spots for Westside women and all of this. And I'm just reminded that, that God has injected a lot of life into our church And I just don't ever want to take that for granted. And so we're calling this sort of the season of connection. And so if you're wanting to get connected, there's a plethora of avenues for you to do that. One of those is our new series entitled, Thy Will Be Done. And I don't do this often, but last week we sort of laid some pretty significant groundwork when it comes to this understanding of God's will. God's will is a massive concept. We are in the theological deep waters for sure. But if you missed out on that, I would invite you to go to our website podcast. You can check that out because we really did a lot of work on talking about some warped views of God's will that we have and a number of things. And so just by way of review, uh, the first thing that we said was that our deepest joy is found in discovering and doing God's will. That I think many Christians live the lie that my happiness and my joy and my pleasure in life and God's will for me are two opposing things. Because if I discover and do God's will, Pastor, then I'm going to sell all my possessions and go to Africa and be a missionary and wah, 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 right? All that stuff. Oh, you've, you've had that thought too, right? By the way, that's maybe not a bad thing. You know, we definitely need more of that. But the reality is, is we were made for God's will. Sin is pursuing our own will which takes us out of God's will. But the good news is, is that Jesus and His grace puts us back into God's will. So our deepest joy is found there. The second thing that we said was this, what we believe determines how we behave. That oftentimes as Christians, we are really interested in behavior modification. Totally get that. Totally understand that. Maybe you lived like me and you had the accountability groups and you were still doing the thing and you were like, I need two accountability groups. So you signed up for two. And then you were like, I'm still doing the thing. And then you had three. And then it was just like sin, confess, beat each other up, like all this stuff. And the reality is, underneath our behavior, we believe something. We believe something about God, about His will, about something. 
which kind of leads us into the next thing. And, and this was just a question that was posed to us. What if the pain and the heartache that I've suffered in my life was actually never God's will? But what if it was the consequences of my warped view of God's will? So one of the things oftentimes when I get the privilege of meeting with people and over a cup of coffee and we're talking about life, I'll often ask this question. Hey, when you're praying and you picture God, just right now, picture God as you would pray to Him at the beginning of the day, on the drive to work, whatever it is. And I ask this question. When you're picturing God as you're praying to Him, what expression is on His face? And, and, and almost always, there's the knee-jerk, well, 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 it's love. It's love. I mean, He loves me, right? And that's, that, that's the, like, for God so loved the world that He gave His love. I know it's love. I'm supposed to say love. You're a pastor, it's love. You just dig a little deeper. It's like, it's love, but maybe like a little, like a little disappointment, maybe. And then, and then here's my next question. Who told you that? Who, who told you that? Where does that come from? Because it doesn't come from God's Word. Nowhere in the Bible and in the New Testament do we see God saying something like that to His people. It's actually the opposite. So what if I'm choosing to live in such a way that has devastating consequences of guilt and shame because I think I missed this opportunity and that night at camp when they gave that call to those who were going to be in the ministry, I felt that thing and I didn't go forward and now God's like punishing me in my whole life and I got the thing. What if you are choosing to live in such a way because we have a warped view of what God's will is? Which leads us to really an important statement like, what is God's will? And we learn this, that God's will is what God wants. A will is not just the thing that you wrote um, that you want to happen whenever you die that your kids ignore, right? Because that's going to happen, by the way. I worked at a funeral home for a number of years. So love you, Grandma. They're going to ignore everything you wrote down, all right? Um, but God's will is what God wants. It encompasses a person's desires, actions, all of those things. So when we are saying God's will, it is synonymous with saying what God wants. And when we're asking, am I in God's will? We're asking, am I where God wants me to be? Am I doing what God wants in my life? And then the last thing was this. We learned that God is a loving Father who wants good things for His children. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus said that. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we don't have to live in warped views of what God really wants for our life. But the true test of Christian maturity is defining good things. Just as a parent who fights with that baby in the high chair to finish that spaghetti, because that spaghetti has got that protein in it, and you got to eat that for the day. That baby don't want that. But that mom and that daddy know this is a good thing for you. Much of our walk with Jesus 
is fighting against the good things that he actually has for us. So where are we going today? And today is massively important. And by the way, I, I, I think a lot of freedom is going to happen today. That's really the goal of the series. But maybe this will set us up where we're going. Um, I've mentioned before that my family has the privilege that when we do family vacation, um, I've got an aunt that lives in Pensacola, Florida, Aunt Bibi, and, and she's got a house on the beach. And so what we do is we mooch off her for the glory of God, right? <laughs> like, Airbnb, get out of here, right? We're going to Aunt BB's, man, right? And it's a great time, and we have a blast, and she stocks the fridge for us, and it's awesome. Uncle Don body slams the kids in the pool for the glory of God. It's just a great time, man. It is a wonderful time. This year, um, one of my brothers actually got to come up and spend a few days with us, so it was great. And then Aunt BB surprised us. She said, hey, I'm going to watch the kids and what we have booked for you is one of our favorite things to do in Pensacola. And at sunset, they have a sailboat that does a cruise at sunset in the bay. And you guys are going to get to go out on it. And this is what it was like. It was nuts. It was bonkers. It was just like sunset in the Gulf. This is a sound like I'm on a sailboat right now. It was crazy. Those two people are complete strangers. Don't even know their names, okay? Right? And by the way, they tell you you're not going to get wet. That's a lie, all right? You're going to get soaking wet, okay? You're sailing in water, right? But this is a condor sailboat. And that's a really big deal because when you're like watching the sailboat competitions that are happening in you, those are condor sailboats. And the thing that's significant about these is they don't rock side to side. That's why people really like going out on them. And so he was telling us all about this stuff. And the only one that you can like sail on for just regular people's in Pensacola. So it was really cool. This guy was telling us a bunch of stuff. And then I'm like, I have a question, right? It's just like this Southeast Missouri boy's got a question, right? I was like, how do you know which direction the wind's coming? <laughs> I'm a simple man, right? I need the jelly on the bottom shelf. And I'm like, this is a sailboat. Like, the I, hey, did you know this? That oh, the wind is a big deal on a sailboat. It's what propels you forward, right? And so I was just like, how do you know which direction? And I'll never forget that guy looking at me like, I have to deal with you peasants every, <laughs> every day, right? And he's explaining this stuff. And then he points. He points to the tallest mass where the sail was coming out. And he goes, well, um, dummy, we actually have a device for that. <laughs> and it's called a wind vane or wind arrow. And he said, some guys use these, some guys don't, because if you're in a sail competition, your competition knows what angle of the wind you're going. And so, young man, wherever the arrow points, that's the direction the wind's blowing. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy, man, right? Um, listen, I use that as a funny illustration. When, when we're talking about God's will, if we're not careful, very quickly we can get into theological ethereal land. And we can just start, it's, it's the concept. It becomes this thing. And, and as we learn, it becomes a phrase that Christians use to like avoid obedience. Like, I'm going to pray about it. It's not really God's will. And then there's like no way to go like, well, then what is God's will? Like, and this, um, what that wind thing does 
is it makes visible what you can't see. The wind. Like, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can't see the wind, though. Um, When we're talking about God's will, it's a massive concept. But the question is, how can I see this thing? How can I know what I'm talking about? And I believe that the scriptures give us, like that wind vane, some markers to let us know this is the direction. This is the current that God's will is blowing. Because I don't know about you, but if God's will is what God wants, if you've spent any time reading the Bible, you probably come away a little bit confused. And you're like, God kind of seems to want a bunch of stuff, right? I mean, there's the, like, um, in 2 Peter it says that God wills that none should perish. That's God's will, that none should perish. Here's a question, do people perish? Well, then God can't accomplish His will. Let's pray right now. Father, we just, right? Well, Well, here's my question to you as a disciple of Christ. How do you answer that? Listen, here's what I'm not interested in. I'm not interested of talking about things we already know about to reinsure your beliefs. I'm really interested about giving you a rock to stand on when you're in the emergency waiting room or when the phone rings. That's what God offers us in His Word. And when we are talking about His will, we can stand with an authority and a confidence to know I am where God wants So if it looks like God's will or God's wills, what are we talking about? Well, the first thing that we need to know is this, um, that God has a sovereign will. We see it all through the New Testament, all through the Old Testament, all through the Bible. Um, Actually, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is the greatest exposition of God's will. In the beginning, God created The heavens and the earth. Um, Really quickly, just a survey. Did God ask any of you guys about creating Jupiter? Anyone? Anyone? We do such a good job at running our own life. Sometimes I wonder if God's like, man, you're killing it. Can I? How should the universe work? Because you tend to know better than me about your life. I was wondering about creation, right? There is a sovereign will. Um, I love this in Isaiah uh, 46. It says this, Remember this and stand firm. I love this. How can I stand firm, God? Well, you need to remember this. Recall it to mind. What am I recalling to mind? You transgressors, remember the former things of old. Remember the ancient paths. Well, what are the ancient paths? For I am God, and there is no other. I am God. And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, here it is, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purposes, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. I love what Spurgeon said. Anytime you see God say, I will or I shall, you better underline it in your Bible because God's batting a thousand every single time he says that I'm going to do this 
And it happens. Creation. Um, how about salvation? Jesus being born. Right? Anybody? Anybody bet the house on Jesus being born? I mean, there's like 700 Old Testament prophecies. It's going to happen in Bethlehem. It's going to be born of a virgin. It's going to happen then. God has a sovereign will that cannot be stopped. And I love, there's this uh, book in the Old Testament. I used to think it was called Job, but it's, but what's it called? Job. I haven't had time to study for the sermon, so I need your help in this, okay? It's called Job, right? And Job suffers, suffers greatly. Um, his internet doesn't go out for the day, all right? Like he suffers, loses everything. And Job one day gets around some friends, and some friends gas him up. And so Job's like, I'm putting my big boy pants on. i got to ask God some hard questions. And his friends are like, man, you better, you better ask God what's going on. Right? Anytime I'm around, when I get to heaven, I want to ask the big man upstairs a few questions. I'm like, well, I want to watch that happen. Can I be around when you do that? That would be great, right? And so Job's like, why am I suffering? Why is this happening, man? I'm living for you, and this is all going on. And then um, God breaks the silence with, who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Translation, who's this idiot? And then God snaps out for like three chapters. He's like, oh, you got your big boy pants on today? Where were you when I created the Leviathan? Where were you when I set the sun in orbit? Did I come to you to measure the universe? And then Job goes from shaking his fist at God, thinking, I'm going to tell God a few things. And then Job says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing that you will to happen can be stopped. This is what God's sovereignty is. And I know sovereignty is a big word. And when you hear that, you're like, I have trouble reading the Bible. See, pastor, this is the reason why I have trouble reading the Bible. The Bible's hard and it's difficult, but you can tell me who pitched for the Cardinals in 1962 on a Thursday. Okay, so we got to apply our brain to something here today. Some of you went through Starbucks today and used words bigger than sovereignty to order your milkshake. All right? Okay? Um, and I know maybe we need like, this is like this. What is God's sovereignty like? Can't be stopped. What does this mean? And I think we need a really deep theological understanding, illustration of what this is. And so what we need to think about for a second is the deeply theological Nintendo game Super Mario Brothers. It's where we need to go today, right? I don't know what you were thinking. That's how my mind works. But wasn't life simpler when video games looked like this? Yeah, they were, right? They were, for sure. Um, there's that moment where you're playing the game and you're getting to the difficult spot and then you are Super Mario and you get the star, Right, and then it's and you are juicing through that level, man. You're hitting those little mushroom guys, and it is nonstop, baby. I'm going for the flag, and it never lasts long enough to get you there, and you die off the cliff or something. But for a few moments, nothing could stop you, man. That was the best. All anxiety and childhood melted away in that moment, right? Hey, listen, God lives in a constant state of not being stopped, ever. When he wills it to happen, it can't be stopped. 
And so what is sovereignty? Sovereignty, we need a definition. God's sovereignty is God's ability to accomplish whatever God decides to do. That's what sovereignty is. God's sovereignty is God's ability to accomplish whatever God decides to do. Ephesians chapter 1. For you were foreknown before the foundations of the earth. The book of Revelation that your name, that if you've repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the Son was ever slain. I mean, there's this language in all of the Bible where God is going, I am God and you are not. And it can't be stopped. And I know many of us wonder, okay, that's great, that's good, but like, how does that affect Monday? How does that, I'm in a relationship right now and I've got this thing and, and what is, see, my problem, pastor, is taking theology and then the everyday life, well, we'll listen, um, God's sovereignty will never be stopped and we should find deep peace in this truth. Hey, listen, do you know how powerful God is? Oh man, this is great. You know how powerful God is? Is that God's sovereign will can't be stopped even by your mistakes and your sin. But, but we don't live like that. Like, like we say that's true, but we don't live that way. But the reality is, is this doesn't depend on you. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. For in Him all things, in Him Jesus Christ, all things hold together. Translation, I don't have to hold it all together because Jesus does. That's God's sovereign will for our lives. Now, I know some of you who are like, maybe listen to a couple Paul Washer and John MacArthur sermons. You're like, well, God, man's responsibility. And like, what about God's sovereignty? And man's, is man responsible or is God sovereign? Because if God's sovereign, we don't have the free will. But if we do have the free will, does that limit God's sovereignty? And, and hey, listen, you know what my answer is to that? Look up here. You ready? Um, I have no idea. Well, is God sovereign? Yep. Are we responsible? Yep. Next question, anyone? Yep. And here's what I would advise, that we should probably highlight and underline Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. It's like the more I walk with Jesus, the less I know. I mean, I, I don't know. Is it this? Is it that? I, I don't know. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. There are things that will happen in your life that God has not revealed the cause of. Because God is sovereign and we are not. And He knows and we don't. Because He is God and we are not. But the things that he has revealed, those are ours. And we can know those things, which lead us into the second aspect. God is a sovereign will. God's sovereignty is God's ability to accomplish whatever God decides to do. But that's hard to see. You can only see God's sovereign will in reverse. 
like go outside and look at creation. Nobody had a preview of that, right? You can only see, you're like, oh, got it. Bethlehem, born of a virgin, right? You can only see that in reverse. You don't know. So, so how can we know a little bit closer? Well, well, that's what's called God's moral will. Or some theologians call it God's written will. And, and those were the verses that were read to you. I love Psalm 40. It's David talking about God's blessing. He set my feet on a rock. He took me out of the miry clay. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, verse 4. And then in verse 6, in sacrifice and offering, what, what would you think he was getting ready to say? In sacrifice and offering, you love, oh God. I, I would have said that. Because there's a bunch of places God says that. He doesn't say that. Translation, I'm not interested in your works. <laughs> what, you think because today... You came to church and you had your Bible open and you prayed a little that God loves you more? Oh, in burnt offering and sacrifices, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offering, you've not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will. Okay, let's meditate on that. I delight to do your will. Number one, I don't think a ton of us would say that. And if we did, it would be through gritted teeth, right? I delight to do your will, oh God, right? But that means David's possessing something. He's possessing a knowledge of God's will. He not only knows what God's will is, he is standing in a confidence that he is doing it and accomplishing it. David, what is God's will? We'll look at the parallel. Your will, and then he says, Oh God, your law is written upon my heart. It's parallelism. Your will, your law. The Old Testament. David is saying, I can know what God's will is for my life because God has written it down. Shocking statement, right? And listen, we don't just see that in the Old Testament. We see that even more in the New Testament. We just walk through the book of 1 Timothy as a church about church structure and elders and what does this look like and all of that stuff. But Paul is constantly encouraging a young pastor, Timothy, about doing God's will for his life. But everywhere in the scripture, he's talking about walking in your calling, Timothy. Do God's will. Then he talks about the Bible. And he says... And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Well, what do the sacred writings do? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That is a massive sentence. Translation? Oh man, this is so good. Everything that God demands for salvation, the knowledge, the repentance, and the faith, he has wrote down and revealed in the Bible. Everything that God wants in regards to salvation, He has made known in the Scriptures. And He goes on and says this, 
All Scripture is breathed out by God. Theonumos, breathed out. It's the Greek word of the old word where God breathed into Adam his lungs. It's the same breath of God. And then it says this, that the Scriptures are profitable for... You ready? Here's the list. What's the Bible good for? It's good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's like seven things right there. What's the Bible good for? Uh, Your life? I don't know, right? Do you know what they're saying? Listen, right now, I'm getting ready to tell you three specific things that are God's will for your life. Now, look up here. None of this comes from me. And it all comes from God. Like, I'm getting ready to tell you. Some of you right now are like in a situation and you're like, man, what's God's will? What should I do? God, God has written it down. We, we know what it is. So what does God want for me right now? Pastor, what does God want for me right now? Um, number one, God's will is for me to be saved. Um, write this reference down, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. We've already referenced it. He says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Can I say something really quick? Many of us are living as if God doesn't exist, and many of us are living in such a way that we are mistaking God's patience for God's passivity. And just because your sin and your addiction hasn't been found out, it doesn't mean that it's not going to. God is gracious to you right now. He's being patient with you. But never mistake God's patience with His passivity. God loves us, and today is the day of salvation. That was just for free. Not wishing that any should perish. There it is. God wills that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Number one, what's God's will for my life, Pastor? That you would repent of the brokenness of the sin and your own choices and rejecting God and who He is and put your faith and trust and bow your knee and say, my dating life, my money, my marriage, and my life, all of it, none of it's mine. But it's all God's. But it's all God's. That's God's will for you. Um, second thing, how about number two? This is great. I love, I do this one in premarital counseling a lot, and it's a ton of fun. Ready? Um, God's will is for me to be sanctified. Um, like 20 years ago, I could have said the word sanctified. Everybody in church would have known, right? But now we don't know. And so you're like, sanctified, that's a big word. Well, so is mayonnaise. Try spelling that, all right? But you use that a bunch. Sanctified. Um, hey, listen, every day of your life, God has a hammer and a chisel. Whether it's through your circumstances, through prayer, through the scriptures, through God's people, through a number of things, God is breaking away at the fleshly parts of you. Every day, He's chipping away at you because He's making you like His Son. Every day. God is forming you. In, Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, I labor that Christ might be formed in you. And he's doing that in a number of ways in our life. But check this out. What's God's will for my life? That you would be more like Jesus every day. 
Well, what's step number one? How can I know that that's happening? I love this. Write this reference down. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Ready? For this is the will of God. Here it is. Many of us are like begging for this. What's God's will? This is God's will. Your sanctification. Well, well what's sanctification, pastor? That you abstain from sexual immorality. And you just say that and pre- you know, Pastor, we just want our marriage, God, you, Pastor, we just want our marriage just to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we just want to do this right. And we just want awesome, man. Um, God wills that the marriage bed be kept clean and you guys not sleep together right now. Oh, oh we'll see if her grandpa can marry us. Thanks, buddy. Right? And what falls in our face and in our heart is proves that we really don't believe that God's will is what's best for our life. Why do you think those, those babies lie to you? When, when, when they go to that cookie jar and they snatch that cookie out and they got cookie all over their face, you're like, do you take a cookie? And they're like, mm-mm. Mm-mm. All right, I'm going to give you one more chance, Bubba. Do you take that? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Do you know what they believe in their heart? That the cookie was better than your word. That the cookie... What they wanted was better than what you wanted for them. What do you think sin is in your life? It's you telling your father, I think that's better. And I want that. God's will is that you would be made like Jesus, that you would be saved. The third thing is this. God's will is for me to live set apart. Holy. That's what the word holy means. It means to live differently than the rest of the world. Um, write this reference down, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I love this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Can I dispel something about this? I just feel like a lot of us read that and we're first saved and we're like, oh my God, I have to pray all day. Like, how do I do that? Do I set it on my Apple Watch? Like, what do I? Well, well let me ask you a question. There are specific times in the day when I'm speaking to my wife but let me ask you this. When am I not communicating to my wife throughout the day? It's like there's, a, there's an open line of communication. That's what he's saying. Is there an open line of communication without ceasing with God? Um, uh, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast. To what is good? Listen, here's what I can confidently tell you. What is God's will? It's not some invisible concept. Here it is. God's will is God's word. God's will is God's word for your life. And so, man, I, I love this. I can say this to you right now. For many of us that are asking, what is God's will for my life? I can confidently stand on the authority of the scriptures of what we have just seen, and I can tell you what God's plan for you is. Are you ready for this? Here it is, the big idea for today. God's will is that you would live God's way as revealed in God's word for the glory of God's son. That's God's will for us. That's what God wants, that he is a loving father and that we should live this way. And I know what you are saying. In any decent form of communication, you anticipate your listener's 
questions and arguments. And I know what you're saying about that. Well, that's like, that's such a pastor answer. Like, I've got some specific stuff going on. That is fine. It's like a North Star. That's fine. But I have situation sun going on in my life, and I need some wisdom on them. Um, how about this? I think many of us spend a lot of energy, time, guilt, shame, anxiety, worry on trying to figure out things in our life that God has never told us to figure out. Our greatest struggle is not in figuring out God's secret will, but in obeying God's written will. That's the struggle of the Christian life. He's revealed what He wants for you. And it's to live this way. So, here's what it is. Here's what it looks like in review. If God's will is a target that all Christians are striving to live and to hit the mark, here's what it looks like. The first ring is God's sovereign will. Create, man, we've seen this. God has a will and ain't nothing going to stop it, man. It's incredible stuff. You can only know God's sovereign will in reverse. It's incredible. God's doing some awesome things. Um, the second ring on that circle, now we're getting more specific for you as an individual, is, is God's moral will. Um, like, uh, 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 um, who, who should I marry? Who should I marry? Hey, listen, can I tell you something? Um, when Courtney and I were dating... I remember getting my Bible, and I went in the back where they list all the words, and I went to them C's, son. I was like, A, B, C, Courtney. Why well, ain't in there, is it? Courtney's not in there. Um, but you know what is in there in God's moral will? Number one, that I would unite myself to someone who loves God and loves Jesus Christ. That I would not be un unequally yoked with a non-believer. Number two, that I would keep the marriage bed undefiled, Hebrews chapter 13. Number three, that we would live our life for the mission of God and for the glory of God. That we would give our time, talents, and treasures in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things would be added unto us, Matthew 6.33. You see what I'm saying? We come with the wrong questions. God has provided way more answers then we even have questions. We're asking the wrong ones. Do you know how I know Courtney was the right person to marry? After going through God's moral will, I married her. That's how I know she's the right one. Right? And I'm getting ready to dispel something that I believe many Christians live shackled by. Because what many of us think the bullseye is now is now we're getting to the good stuff. God's individual, specific will for me. That's what's next, right? He's got sovereign will, God's moral will, His word. Now we're getting down to me, baby. Gideon throwing out the fleece. We love saying dumb words like fleece. You don't even know what that means, right? But you say it 20 times. Like, oh man, we're getting down to specific stuff now, right? Um, I do not believe that the scriptures teach that you have the responsibility to find out God's color by number, specific, everyday decision, will for your life. Some of you are like, whoa, that, that almost feels wrong. Um, well, let's just go to the scriptures. What does this mean? 
Well, the first thing is this. Every time we see the phrase will of God used in all of the Bible, it's used about 55 times. Every time it's mentioned, it refers to God's sovereign will or God's moral will. Never once does it refer to an individual's specific will and plan for their life. Number two, there's not a single Bible verse. There's not a single chapter in all of the Bible where we are commanded to pursue and figure out some omnipotent secret plan for our life. Nowhere in it. So what does this mean? Instead of living shackled by, is this the, in the dot? It's like a fairy unicorn running around, and i got to find it because it's at the end of a rainbow with a pot of gold where Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster are. And i got to figure this thing out, man. And every day of my life, I'm on the, the, oh, I'm not on God's will, and now He's punishing me. And now, um, I think in the middle is freedom to choose. There's God's sovereign will. There's God's moral will, how we should live. And then God has allowed us to make choices. And I believe the more we pursue God's written moral will for our lives, the more and more we find out in reverse what was God's sovereign will for our life. The more and more we obey what He has already said. So what does this mean for us? It means what David said in another psalm. He says these words, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Do you know what he's saying? God's will has fallen for me in broad places. I have a lot of room in my life now. We don't believe that because we still struggle with the lie of Genesis 3. Um, remember in the garden, God made our first parents Adam and Eve, and then he was like making everything, and Adam was naming it. He was like hippopotamus, giraffe, uh, T-Rex, or whatever. And then he was like, that's not a hippopotamus, a T-Rex, or a giraffe. And God was like, this is Eve. And he was like, hey, girl, hey, right? And there was that whole thing. And then God gives him a ton of freedom. But, but God tells them about that one tree. He says, hey, 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 don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's mine. Everything else is yours. So survey, how many things did God say for Adam and Eve not to do or eat from? One. One tree. Here's another question. How many trees were in the garden? I mean, it's like a garden. It was like a ton. If you know the answer, you're lying. We have no idea, right? But it was probably a ton. It was like awesome. It was perfect. Which tells me this. God's permission far outweighs God's restriction. But what sin has done to us, it, it has made us infatuated with what God has said is His. And the little king in your heart says, that should be mine as well. Here's what I'm trying to say. True freedom is actually found within the boundaries of God's Word. And so when it comes to our everyday life and the decisions we need to make, God has given us sufficient information that we should live every day of our life. 
And as the band comes and leads us in time of response, I'll never forget, I basically told this whole sermon um, to a young man who was just riddled with anxiety in his life. Um, He was in his middle 30s, and he had acquired a new job. The problem was is that the new job was in a new location, and he had a great job. Like, man, it was great. I can put down roots. I can start a family. This is awesome. This is pays good. This is like career stuff. Like, I'm on career path right now. The new job comes along, and it's back in the hometown where mom and dad are. Mom and dad's health is failing. So now it's like, great, is God telling me to move back home to take care of my parents? Or is God saying, I'm blessing you? And I mean, just every day, had an eight, I mean, just riddled with it. And I could just see the shackles of like, I, and, and if I miss it, God's going to like kill my parents or God's going to like do this. And it's all going to, and, and do you know what we're saying? We're saying in one breath, it all depends on me. And if I don't get it right, I'm going to thwart God's plans. And I remember looking at him and I said his name. I said, hey, do you ever remember um, when your grandma would make you cookies? Like, I mean, my nanny can throw down on some cookies, right? Throw down on them. A donut house, I don't care what. Don't give me none of that fancy St. Louis on HGTV $27 cupcakes. I want none of that stuff. I want my nanny's cookies. And she offered you and had that tray. I said, let me ask you something. Which one's the right cookie? Which cookie is God's will for your life? And many of us think God has a zap gun above us. And he's like, oh, which one is it? Which one is it? That's not it. Got him. Right? And it's like, that's what we think God's doing to us. And he said, I don't, I don't know. I said, The right cookies, whichever one you take. Whichever one you take, that's on the tray. It's about the tray. The boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. God's tray that He's given us is His Word. And He's given us freedom to choose. As long as we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, and it's God's will that I would be saved, and God's will that I would live set apart, and God's will that I would be sanctified. God has spoken, and then, in that freedom, He has given us the ability to choose. So the application today is, is this. It's twofold. Number one, do you live shackled by the anxiety and the worry that you're going to make a wrong choice? You don't know about the future. I want you to rest in God's sovereign will today. That God is so powerful that sin and our mistakes can't even stop him. That's what makes him God. The second thing is this. Um, Are you plagued with anxiety and worry over what to do next? I don't know what to do, Pastor. I need to just tell me, Pastor, right now, tell me. I I need you to audibly tell me, Pastor, because the anxiety is so high in my life. Um, Here's what I would say. Do what he's already told you. Do what he's already said. And then I'm going to tell you this. I think the answer you're looking for is on the other side of that obedience. And then when we look back, It all makes sense. 
So, Father God, we come before you today so thankful that you have spoken and revealed what your will is. And your will is your word. So, God, today, my deep prayer is that there would be freedom in this place. But, God, also confession that the reality is, is that you have spoken and you have said a lot of what your will is for us in our lives. But God, it is our own responsibility and our own ignorance that we don't know those things. And we have lived distracted by the allure of sin, of wanting to know what are the secret things of God. Maybe if I find that out, then this will fall into place and that will fall into place and this person will come into my life. But the reality is, is you've not desired burnt offerings or burnt sacrifices, but rather you want our heart. And your heart towards us is to do your will through us. So God, may we be free today from the shackles of guilt and shame. And may we say like David said, the lines have fallen for me in broad in pleasant places. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.